My subject tonight is the final examination. And this message is born out of Jesus' last week on earth, actually. He rode into Jerusalem. We'll read it later. But he rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, on, on a colt, a little donkey colt, and uh, with the mother walking beside him. And Jesus came in that day by uh, a divine unction. He came into Jerusalem because it was his last uh, few days on the earth, and God the Father led him through the Holy Spirit to come into Jerusalem. And it was not that he was just coming into Jerusalem to die, but it was purposeful of God. And I want to give you some information from Exodus chapter 12, and then uh, it will give you a fuller understanding of this. In Exodus chapter 12, verses 3 through 6, he says, Speak to all the congregation of Israel, he's saying to Moses and Aaron, saying, On the tenth of this month every man shall take for himself a lamb according to the house of his father, a lamb for a household. So he, he, this is what he's saying. I want you to go in, take this lamb. This was in, in Egypt many, many years before that, about, say, roughly 1,500 years before that. And uh, he said, this, I'm going to deliver you. So uh, this is what I want you to do. Um, take this lamb into your house on the 10th. And then he says, let me uh, skip down to verse 5. Your lamb shall be without blemish. So he says that. I want a perfect lamb. Go in and then examine your flock and get a perfect lamb. A male of the first year. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now, the apostle Peter tells us in 1 Peter 1.19, he says that, uh, we were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. There's no defect, absolutely no defect. And so what he's showing us is Peter is saying, this is what the first Passover was, was about and what, what it was like. Then uh, he says, now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at twilight. So they, they would kill the lamb um, at twilight or between the evenings uh, at 3 o'clock, uh, preferably at 3 o'clock. Some, some uh, people would say, some commentators would say between 3 and 5, but we know it's, it's 3 o'clock because this was the time when Jesus uh, w uh, would die. Now, Jesus is going into Jerusalem knowing the scriptures because he is the word of God. He knows the scripture and he knows he's going there to die. But he also knows that he is going there uh, as, a, as a lamb without blemish. Blemish means um, that full of integrity for Christ. He was full of integrity, full of truth. Um, he was complete. He was fully perfect. He was sound. He was without any spot, no sin, nothing negative. He was undefiled. He was upright. So Jesus met all of the qualifications for the sacrificial lamb of God, the, the son of God dying for us. And so we know again, as I, I said earlier, that Jesus died at 3 o'clock. And so it was the same time that that first lamb died. Now, now notice, when they brought the lamb in at ten, on the 10th, they kept the lamb. If you were to say Sunday the 10th, they brought the lamb in. Jesus uh, says 
uh, they, he looked around, went to the temple, looked, looked around because he was going there to his father's house. Now, and, 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 of course, we're going to read into that a little bit later. And so he went in and looked around, and I think Mark says he left and came back the next morning. So on the 11th is a day, 12th, 13th, and 14th, four days, where he would go in and be examined. And so my, my subject uh, is the final examination, is the final examination. And he had been of course, ministering in Israel for about three years. He was perfect in everything. He had done what no one else could do. Absolutely no one else. No one else had done. Uh, Jesus cleansed the lepers. He opened blind eyes. He raised the dead. Several people, the, the young boy, the widow's son at Nain, uh, Jairus' daughter, raised them from the dead. And one of his feasts was just even like so amazing that no one in, who knew the Jewish scriptures, no one in his right mind uh, or her right mind would say that this man is not from God. He raised a man, Lazarus, who was four days dead. And all of this had happened. And not only did the Jewish leaders want to kill Jesus for working a great miracle, but they wanted to kill Lazarus too. It shows you how, how the corrupt the religious system had gotten. And so Jesus is riding into Jerusalem knowing that this is his appointment with death. Uh, that first lamb that was slain, um, it was slain, was slain, was without blemish, and uh, it was, as I said of, of Jesus, it was um, uh, totally faultless. And, and for Christ, his life was, was uh, unblameable, if we would say. It was unblameable. There, there was absolutely no way that one could find fault. Uh, Jude says to us, and I think it's important for you and I to know in this same context, Jude in his, uh, in his uh, epistle, uh, verse 24, he says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless, because to be unblemished is to be faultless, to have absolutely no fault." And so he says, he is going to also present you like the lamb who saves you. He's going to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. So this gives you some idea. Jesus doing what no one had ever done, uh, raised the dead. Uh, as I said, he, is, he cleansed the lepers and also fed the multitudes. He fed, fed uh, one, on one case, on one uh, opportunity. Uh, instance, he fed 5,000 men, not counting women and children, so with what? Two fish and five little loaves of bread. And so they knew he was special, but they were corrupt in their relig religiosity. I, I really have seen a pattern in scripture that what has happened before happens again. You can see it in the, in the, the prophets when they are rebuking God's people, Israel, in the northern kingdom and then in the southern kingdom. They're rebuking them for their sinfulness. And then you see this happening again and again. It happened again in, uh, when Jesus was walking the earth. They were in the same backslidden condition. They had allowed their own interests to become greater than God's interests. And it corrupted them. And so you'll find that. I offer to you that what I am seeing 
in my lifetime, uh, in the last uh, maybe decade, I've, I'm seeing an increase in ungodliness. And I'm also seeing many, quote unquote, men of God, and I want to put it in quotations, men of God who are saying anything to get to the next point in their life. They're doing things that are really shameful, and uh, they are making excuses for themselves rather than coming under conviction. Now, why did I say that? I say that because the religious leaders of Jesus' day were corrupt, and, and they had not held God's interests higher than theirs. And so this is why they would crucify the Lord. Now, when we talk about the final examination, in case I'm not clear, uh, the lamb that was brought into the household was examined for four days, was in the house without blemish, but still examined for four days. And at the end of that, four, that on that 14th day, that lamb was slain. Uh, it was, it's just a, uh, an amazing story. And so now Jesus goes into Jerusalem. And I want to read, uh, starting in Matthew chapter 21. We'll read beginning in the first verse. Now, I'm not going to get to all of it, but it's for, it's for the religious leaders to examine him, and they should find no fault in him. Let me give you something beforehand. You know the story, so I'm going to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. The story is that they, con they refused to say he was blameless, he was faultless. But now we know that a Gentile said, I find no fault in him. And he said it three times. I find no fault in this man. I find no fault in this man. There's nothing. There's no blemish in this man. There's no spot in this man. And, and, and the religious leaders were so corrupt, they, they still said, no, he needs to die. And so this is, gives you a context. Now they're gonna, let, let's read, start to read, and we'll see how they examine him. Verse 1, now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. Jesus speaking, being the word of God, speaks, as it were, prophetically. And uh, he knows where the colt is. Didn't have to go over there. Some people think, well, he must have known. No, he's God. You know, he's God in the flesh. So he sent them. And verse 4 says, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, tell the daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, Matthew always takes the words of Jesus and the, the doings of Jesus and, and points them back to Scripture to say this was, full, this was done that it might be fulfilled. So Matthew is, and that's one of the reasons I, I suppose I chose Matthew to read this from. I could have done it from two of the other synoptic gospels, Mark and Luke. So uh, this is the Scripture in Zechariah 9.9. Uh, you don't have to turn there, but Zechariah 9, 9 says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now notice when uh, Matthew said uh, the scripture was fulfilled, Matthew, I believe intentionally, left out, uh, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, because this was not a time that, uh, when you should be excited and happy because 
Jesus was riding into a situation where they had rejected him. They, at first, he was popular, and many of us, when we, as we, we come to the Lord and we do some nice things, some wonderful things, we're maybe popular, but if you keep walking with God, it seems like you become unpopular to those who don't really know the will of God. You'll become unpopular, and Jesus had become unpopular. Initially, oh, this man is pretty, pretty, I rebuke you. I didn't do a thing. But... But, but he became unpopular as he continued the will of God. And what we have to always be aware of is that we may have a point uh, of contention with something that someone who is sent from God says because there's a problem in us. You, you have to be very careful about that. You can't think, well, everybody's wrong. You know, he's wrong, she's wrong, they're wrong. And you, you, don't, you don't take a look at those fingers pointing back at yourself. You have to do that. These religious leaders did not do that. So what we want to do is find out about this examination. I think we'll learn a lot uh, about how we should comport our lives and conduct our lives. So, so anyway, he did not say that, but he did because this was not a time of rejoicing. It should have been a time of rejoicing. Now, the next time Jesus comes, it's going to be a time of rejoicing. But it should have been a time of rejoicing at this particular juncture. But, but because they had rejected him and had plot, plotted to kill him, this was not a time of rejoicing. Let's, let's look at, at verse 6. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. I think it's a beautiful act. Don't you think it's a beautiful act? They didn't have a nice fashion saddle, but they just got their garments off and gave them to Jesus and, played the, and, and, and placed them on that, um, that colt, that colt. That's so, just so, so beautiful. Now notice, he said, so, okay, just a minute here. said, Alan, it doesn't do it until you come. <laughs> yeah, because when he came, I said, there are demons in that thing. <laughs> because you came. And so, so, let's continue to read. It says, and a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Can you imagine? Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And this is from that Messianic Psalm 118. So Jesus had not uh, said to, uh, declared openly that he was the Messiah. He told the woman at the well in John chapter 4 that he was the Messiah, revealed himself to her, and he told his disciples who he, he was, but he had not really published it. But now, by riding into Jerusalem on that donkey's colt, he is saying to them, I am your king. That's what Jesus was saying. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it is it's very touching to me because he was so wonderful in every way, without a blemish, without a spot. And he, was a, the, he had already done 
things that no man ever living had done. Not even all the men in the, in the whole world, men of God, put together, had accomplished and done what he had done. Not at all. And they, they knew. Jesus told, we'll, we'll talk about that at some point later. But, but they, they came to a place where in a, in a manner they knew who he was. But their, their ignorance, uh, their willfulness would not, let them, would not allow them to, to acknowledge the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So he came in fulfilling the scripture. Gentiles king, Gentile kings never rode a donkey. They would ride a big stallion. You know, can you imagine just one of those big black stallions or white stallions? They were all beautiful and just ride in there to let you know I'm somebody. But the, but, but the, the Jewish system was much different. It was a, it's a reflection of God himself and who he is. The most humble person in the whole of this universe is Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. Yeah. I'll tell you a quick story. When I was younger, I remember saying to the Lord, I was praying one day, and I said, I said, Lord, like, Father, how will I know Jesus when I get there? I want to know, how will I know? Because I'm not sure that Jesus will be sitting on his throne. He may just be walking around among people. And so that was my thought. And I said, how will I know him? And this is what I heard when I was very young. He said, you will know him because he will be the most humble person there. Wow. Yeah, he's a lamb. And that's why I always try to uh, make it, uh, the point that he is not a lion in a lamb suit with a zipper. Somebody tried to explain my message of, of, of Jesus, the Lamb of God, said, well, let me tell you like this. He's a lion, really, but he has a suit on. He's a zipper. No, Jesus is not schizophrenic. He's not schizophrenic. He is a lamb, and, and the lion is his office, is his position, that is, as ruler. But the, Jesus is amazing. And um, so where was I? Oh, yeah, the Messianic Psalm. So they are quoting a Messianic Psalm which says that the people, and especially those from Galilee, knew who Jesus was. Uh, they just, well, they believed he was the Messiah, God's Messiah, the promised Messiah. And so they began to quote this Messianic Psalm. Um, and what the Messianic Psalm says in 118, Psalm 118, verses 25 and 26, says, Save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So this is what that Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest they are proclaiming. He is our Messiah. He is my Messiah. And, and so it says, and when he had come into Jerusalem, verse 10, all the city was moved, not some of it, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? So the multitude said, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. And so they're saying, the people are proclaiming, those who had come from, uh, from Galilee are saying, he is that prophet that Moses spoke of that would come into the world, and whatever he says, we should listen to and do it. That's what they were actually saying. And, um, and but now, now, they... It's amazing. They knew. I like what Pastor Joel Parrott taught us one, one, in one of his messages when he was here a number of, uh, maybe a couple of years ago, uh, three or so. But he said that when, G when God was uh, bringing Jesus into the world, it was so beautiful, this, the statement was, he bypassed all the great folks. He bypassed uh, 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 Pilate. He bypassed uh, Annas and Caiaphas. 
He bypassed um, um, Herod. He bypassed all of them, all of them, and went to a simple people, shepherd people. And so that's what we have to keep in mind as well. You, you may feel like you, nobody knows you. Nobody knows you're there. That's not accurate at all. Jesus knows you. That's more important than anybody else knowing you. So, so Jesus went firstly, um, in verse 12, we're going to find, he went into the temple. Now, now this is what, how I look at, at it. The reason Israel was wrong, the temple was wrong. The temple was wrong, uh, and then because of that, the, the city, Jerusalem, was wrong. And then Israel was wrong because of Jerusalem. It was just wrong. They had corrupted everything before God. When you look at that, you have to almost close your eyes, put your hand over your eyes, take that, uh, that uh, mask you're wearing over your nose and mouth and put it over your eyes to miss the fact that too many in the visible church are just wrong. Just wrong. And, and you know, I'm not glad they're wrong. I actually weep, and I don't want to weep. I never wanted to be an old man who, who cried. It was, it was serious to me. But it's weeping time. I believe that God is showing us something. And, and, and I believe even maybe some of, of us as old as I am will see the Lord's coming. But I just believe definitely this next generation. That's, just, that's subjective. But I just believe as we see things going on. Okay, so this, I titled this The Cleansing of the Temple. Then Jesus went into the temple of God and drove out all those who bought and sold in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And he said to them, it is written, my house, not God's house. It is written, my house. And that my could mean the Father, but it certainly, in my view, means Jesus because the Father and the Son are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are one. And he says, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. You have made it a hangout for thieves. And now, 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 now before I go to the 14th verse uh, here, uh, uh, this is what I really believe God showed me, is that Jesus went in and he cleansed the house, the temple. He had done that, um, most uh, commentators will believe, and most people I, I read from time to time, would say that he cleansed the temple at the beginning of his ministry, and he cleansed the temple at the end of his ministry. And I think both times, if, if that is absolutely correct, both times, then he would have been clean, uh, cleansing the house uh, from leaven, from sin. You know, uh, in the Passover instituted in uh, Exodus chapter 12, what, what uh, Moses told them that they had to remove all leaven, all yeast from the house. And yeast is, is a type of sin. It, it speaks of sin. So you remove all of that. So then uh, if we are correct, and I would say that, that we would believe that Jesus had two cleansing, then when that first cleansing then was, say, was a, an emphatic statement, I am the Messiah. And this last one would be sealing the deal. So he went into the temple and, and he uh, cleansed the temple 
And he speaks with authority by saying, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. And he, he turns over these, the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold doves. And, and uh, he was just really disturbed or indignant at, at that. So, so then Jesus is showing, um, um, I guess, um, uncontrovertibly, you know, without being able to convert or change that, that he is God in the flesh, that he is their promised Messiah. He is the prophet. And so, um, so they were, we'll, we'll find out some things about them in just a minute. I'll, I'll just go on. But what they had done, they had, made, they had merchandise, made merchandise of the house of God. They were in it for what they could get out of it. Uh, exchanging money, changing money. When you travel around the world like we do, you know why Jesus did overthrew those tables. Those money changers in every airport are just wicked in my view. They're always uh, exchanging and getting too much of a profit. And uh, they'll try to fast uh, do you as well. If you don't know what that money is changed for, they'll cheat you a little bit. And, and in this, in this uh, scenario, um, uh, they were exchanging money for those foreigners who would come, say, uh, they were Jew Jewish people, but they would come from other nations for Passover. And what they would do is say, you can't use your money. You have to use our money. And they're, they're making profit. And they really were making a lot of profit uh, unrighteously. So Jesus overturned that. And uh, I believe it is Mark who says, like, get this stuff out of here, so to speak. Now look at verse 14. A at, after that, the blind and lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. Isn't that marvelous? They came, he, he cleansed his house. And when he cleansed his house, there were great healings. So all of this is the Pharisees and the leaders of the, of the Jewish nation, they, know, they knew, in a sense, what was going on. And the reason I say they knew, in a sense, Peter later tells them that I know you, you killed him in ignorance. In other words, you were willfully ignorant in my view is what he was saying, but, but it was still a type of ignorance. But they knew the scripture, but they had become so corrupt. Now listen, what happens. Um, so he heals in the temple. So this is God healing in the temple. This has to speak to them. Now they are seeing this, so this is an examination. This is the lamb that's now in the house, the house of God. The temple is called a house. It's the house of God. God's dwelling place, and now they're examining him. Wait a minute. He took authority and overturned all of this, and now he is healing all these sick people? They should have fallen down prostrate. Sin will make you insane. Let's look at verse 15. Oh, <laughs> But when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple, saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. They weren't repentant, they were indignant. When somebody tells you that you're doing wrong, do you become repentant or are you indignant? Do you find some fault with them? I found it very, very interesting in our nation and in, in many nations of the world where people are, they brutalize the poor and those who are victims of maybe some of our successes, they are victims, and they always uh, uh, make them the villains. I don't know, maybe I'm talking to the wrong group. 
I've seen that. I've seen that with my own eyes. I don't, I don't watch much uh, television, much news, because it saddens me to see that many believers go along with that brutalizing of the poor and people who are already victims. We, we, we just go along with that. And we should never go along with that. That's what these people did. They were indignant because they saw the wonderful things that he did and the children crying out in the temple saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Wow. They were indignant and said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read? Now, Jesus doesn't, as it were, uh, disavow it. He says, yes. I hear what they're saying. Have you never read out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants you have perfected praise? What Jesus is saying to them, again, emphatically, I am the Messiah. I am allowing this praise to come to me because I am the lamb without spot or without blemish, without any, any, anything wrong. That's what Jesus is saying to them. But they kept their indignant attitude. And so whenever God comes to you to convict you about something, don't point the finger at somebody else. Always just fall down and say, hey, Lord, I'm sorry. All right? Now, now this is amazing. Out of the mouth of babes and nursing infants, you have perfected praise. And what, what you find here in this story is, is that not only the little children, but nursing infants. I don't know how old a nursing infant could, would be maybe in those days, but I can just imagine a little baby that's still t uh, uh, talking baby talk is over there saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. If that didn't blow them away, I don't think anything could. They were bound, as we say, they were bound and determined to, to kill him. They were bound and determined to kill him. Now, the Bible says, then he left them and went out of the city to Bethany, and he lodged there. So we don't know exactly where he, he lodged. But now let me, let me go ahead and just give you a few more verses, and then we'll, we'll stop for this evening. Verse 18, now in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it but leaves, and said to it, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither away so soon? So Jesus answered and said to them, assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also, if you say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea, it will be done. And whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. In this story, Jesus went to the fig tree and because it had leaves on it. And usually when the tree had leaves on it, there were figs as well. And so what Jesus did, he went looking for some. Now, this is not just about a fig tree. This is what Jesus had obviously seen in Israel. And when I say Israel, that's not an anti-Semitic statement. That means now even the church could be an example of this. And uh, so when he saw that, Jesus, um, Jesus spoke against the fig tree, which I believe, and I'm sure that many of us would believe, is that this fig tree represented Israel. 
They were, they were uh, the keepers of God's vineyard. They were the one that he had loaned everything out to, or leased everything out to. So this fig tree was like Israel. Israel had um, an image of being something they were not. And so we want to be all, always want to be careful that we're not pretending to be what we're not. And so when Jesus saw that there were leaves but no figs, he cursed it. And um, let me look at that one more time. He said, let no fruit grow on you ever again. Immediately the fig tree withered. And so let's not, we know that Jesus didn't say to Israel proper, let no fruit grow on you ever again. So obviously he was speaking to that generation that it was over. And even though, even though it was, as it were, basically over, he put up with them, if I may say that, for another 40 years. For another 40 years. You can see the tenderness of Jesus. And um, the disciples were really um, um, just beside themselves because that fig tree withered. Mark gives a slightly different account than, than Matthew because sometimes, sometimes we tell the story, we have the essence of it, but we don't always have the details that somebody else might have. And so I think Mark says that it was the next morning when they were coming by, they go, wow, even though the fig tree withered, perhaps uh, started withering immediately, Mark saw it next, I mean, uh, Peter and uh, those guys, woo, the tree that you've cursed is withered. And that's when Jesus gave them these words, that they are to have faith and not doubt. So this gives you some understanding of what this first week is like. You will see that they are examining Jesus. This is the final examination. This is the last time God is going to give them an opportunity to, to really look at his son and do the right thing. All right? So let me just bless you, and then we'll, we'll continue this next Wednesday, if that's all right with you. We'll continue this. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much in Jesus' name for who you are and what you've done for us. We just thank you, Lord, that, that you're just good and great, that this Passover season is amazing. Uh, Jesus riding into Jerusalem as the Messiah, publicly acknowledging that he is their king. He has done irrefutable miracles. Nobody could say he had not. He had done what no man had ever done. I'm asking you today, Father, to cause this reality to be present in this generation. We pray that in the name of the Lord, that we would be that generation that sort of begs your coming in the name of Jesus. And we pray that before you come, that you will cleanse your temple, you will cleanse your house, and that the church of Jesus Christ would be that bright city on a hill that cannot be hidden. We thank you so very, very much. In Jesus' name, amen.